0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life changing, ever growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you. Hey, can we take a moment and just thank God for Jeff and Lynn, daughter? Appreciate and love you both very much. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Brandon. Really glad that you're here. If you're joining with us online, we're really glad you're joining with us as well. And if this is your first time, uh, just so you know, we're talking about sex. Um, and, and I want to start with this: um, God created sex to be good for both spouses. God created sex to be good for both spouses, but what oftentimes happens when God gives human beings a good gift from him, that there is an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy that good gift. And so what we oftentimes see is this being a point of contention within a marriage, it being a point of contention within society. Um, when we were planning this series, Mike and Taylor and I uh, were talking about it, and Taylor said something so profound. Uh, he said that, for, well, this is what the enemy wants to do. For those who are unmarried, he wants to get them in bed. And for those who are married, the enemy wants to do nothing other than keep them out of bed. All the time. That's what the enemy is trying to do. So we're going to talk about um, this one more week. And last week, or two weeks ago, we started this conversation. And we, we, we laid down a groundwork of what God's perspective is with sex. We, we talked about how he sees it from Scripture, and last week we talked about the distortions that oftentimes come in our day and time, and in the first century when Paul was writing to the churches. And so today, as we close out this three-week conversation on sex, we're going to talk about good sex, good sex, because Scripture does have some things to say about it, and I believe that we should know what the, what it is, what it what he says. That it should look like. So we're gonna dive in. So if you have a Bible, First Corinthians chapter seven, starting in verse two, is where we're gonna be. First Corinthians chapter seven. Starting in verse two, it'll also be on the screen. This is what it says. But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. So Paul is getting done with the conversation. He's kind of already laid the groundwork of his, his preference for those of us who are single. If you're single, his preference for single people is for them to stay single because then you don't have to worry about uh, pleasing a spouse. You can focus on pleasing the Lord and that's all you've got to worry about. And so he's saying, Hey, I think you should follow in my footsteps being Paul because he was a single guy. And he's saying, hey, this is this is how you should be, but if you're of the weaker people, this is kind of how he pr- frames it, um, then when you get married, a a husband should have sex with his wife and a wife should have sex with her husband. And so that is the the foundation that that Paul lays as he starts this conversation. And I believe he does this because he's teaching what Scripture oftentimes teaches. Um, all throughout Scripture, and that is marriage is designed to be within this exclusivity of one and the other. A husband and a wife, one for each other. Um, and this is the thing, the, the prerequisite for all the things that we're going to talk about is what Paul is getting at right here. Because within exclusivity, within this, hey, I understand that I am yours and you are mine, there is trust. It, it, it makes trust Possible. Because when a relationship is not founded on trust, there's, there's a less opportunity for connection. See, trust is is the, the doorway to get us to connection. And connection, as we've talked about, sex is more than physical. It's more than just mere physical. Connection is required for it to be good. And so uh, just to, to give you another perspective, um, I don't know if you knew this, but the, the Bible has a, a whole book. On, on relationship and how that can look within a marriage. It's called Song of Solomon. Anybody read that? Song of Solomon? You can raise your hand. You don't have to be ashamed about it. It's fine. You know, okay. Uh, so this is what Song of Solomon says. This is the, the, the wife. She's, she's saying this. My love, it's kind of her nickname for her husband. My love is mine and I am his. He feeds among the lilies. That is a metaphor, by the way. He feeds among the lilies. There's this idea within a marriage that I am yours and you are mine. And that makes the bedrock of a foundation of marriage. That trust is possible within that understanding, within that posture for one another. You could say it like this. Trust is the soil for a healthy marriage. If your marriage does not have trust already... Then, then what some you know, Christian marriage books would say is like, just have sex more if you're married and you're having issues. Well, if you don't have trust built as the foundation, as the soil of your marriage, then that advice is not going to work because you need to build some trust. And so understand, trust is one of the prerequisites for intimacy, and intimacy and sex are not the same thing. Intimacy is a closeness. That, remember, God designed us to desire intimate oneness. And so it goes beyond physical. It, it includes that, too. But trust is the soil of healthy marriage. Sheila Ray Gregor, um, I think I said her last name correctly. I'm not sure. But she wrote a book called The Great Sex Rescue, um, subtitled The Lies You've Been Taught and How to Recover What God Intended. And this is what she says. I, I, I think she's right. She says a healthy sex life feeds into a healthy marriage. And a healthy marriage fosters a healthy sex life. That that this goes uh, together, a, a a healthy sex life feeds into a healthy marriage, and a healthy marriage fosters a healthy sex life. That is obviously with with considerations that as long as uh, both are physically healthy, that that is the prerequisite, of course, for that. Um, so with that caveat, but let's dive in. I want to give you uh, over the course of our time together, uh, three biblical ingredients to good sex. Okay. You open the Bible we ready, okay? First Corinthians chapter seven, starting in verse three, he goes on, Paul says this a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, otherwise Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul gives us um, quite a bit of stuff right there. There's a lot involved. Um, But the first thing I want to point you to is the first ingredient from the scriptures to good sex. Um, Number one is to communicate openly. Communicate openly. Let me remind you what he says in verse 5. Verse 5, he says, Do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Real quick rabbit trail. Won't last long. Um, But if you notice in the second half of verse 5, He says, then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So if you, if because of health reasons or because of a decision that you made, just to focus on prayer, whatever, to, to you make it, you're, you're married and you decide, okay, we're not going to have sex for a little while. Um, You make that decision. He says, come together again because uh, Satan seems to be the only one who doesn't want those married people to come back together again. Just, just a little quick insight there. But what does he say? Verse five, the first part. He says, do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time. Communicate openly both in the bedroom and outside of the bedroom. All of these points are going to be applicable to in and outside of the bedroom. And so this is vitally important. Do you do you and your spouse, if you're married, um, those of you not married, then you're just kind of getting a, a front row seat to this conversation, put in your back pocket for when you are married, um, or if you're, you're going to stay single or whatever, then I guess you can add, pass this along to someone else who you know who is married. But do you talk about anything in your marriage? Are there things that are off the table, Are there things that you just avoid? We're gonna leave it over there. We're just not gonna talk about it because we don't seem to be able to communicate adequately. See, communication is a two-way street. It requires someone to speak and someone to listen. Right? And so open communication is the, is the foundation of connection. Like if you're not communicating, then you're often, you're you're likely not gonna be connecting. And so, do you, do you talk about things? Do you talk about your day? Do you talk about what your struggles are? Do you, do you share? Fellas, do you open up your heart and share what is going on in your life? Ladies, do you, do you open up your heart and share what's going on in your life? Are you willing to communicate openly? Or are there things that you just know you're not going to talk about? Because if there are, then, then that's not setting you up to experience all that God would want you to experience within your marriage. Communicate openly. If you if you kind of struggle with that, let me give you just some ideas. Um, because every every marriage is going to be different on what they excel at and what they have to work at. Um, but some ideas for just fostering and cultivating open communication. Talk about your day. Um, intimacy begins outside of the bedroom. Uh, communicate talk about your day share your high and your low for the day what if you just did that when you got home and both of you got home what what was your high for the day what was your low for the day what what did you see what was a struggle what was a victory a high and a low that's just simple thing Uh, spouses speak life to your spouse speak life to them like, I know it's it's so easy for us to get so busy and so caught up in all the things that we've got to do. Like, our calendars are filled to the brim. And and, and if you've got kids at home, then it's like, we've got to make sure the kids are doing this and that, you know, homework and, and dinner and, and activities and all this stuff. And it can be to where your communication level is only on a as-needed basis to where you're only just communicating to the degree that you have to get things done in the day. And then you get to the point where you get the kids down to bed, and I understand this because uh, I'm in it, and you're just kind of like tired. So communicating, we need to prioritize it. Depending on your stage of life, it may be applicable, it may not be. But do you prioritize communication? Talk about your day. Speak life to your spouse. Notice what they do well and speak that to them. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. All of us like to, to be able to be encouraged, right? That's why we call it encouraged. It gives us courage. To be like, yes, I can go and do whatever it is that I've got to go and do. Be encouraging. Value each other's perspectives. I can't say this enough. Um, if there's anything in the church we've got wrong, we've, we've looked at Ephesians 5 and, and we've we've somehow applied and interpreted it to where um, husbands uh, only make all the decisions and, and wives are just kind of there along for the ride. That's not how... It should be, we've got to uh, value each other's perspectives, converse, talk. Like, do you go to your spouse for wisdom? If you don't, you should. Go, go to them for wisdom. Hey, what do you think about this? What, what, do, what do you think? What, 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 should we, what should we do about this? These should be conversations in a marriage. Each person's voice, each person's perspective should be valued. That means we've got to pay attention. We've got to be present in the moment. We've got to listen. We've got to talk. We've got to be able to share. And and married people, talk about your sex life. Don't let it just be this thing that just exists. Talk about it. It's okay to talk about it. Especially if there's any person you would be okay to talk about sex with, it should be your spouse. It should be your spouse. Talk about, hey, how are things going right now? Is this going well? Is this because you know, like, within every marriage, there's going to be uh, different spouses with different libidos, and that's going to shift over time as you get older and all that. That's gonna, it's going to change, and so there may be seasons you got to talk about. Hey, how are you doing? Are we connecting often enough? Do you feel close to me? That's important to talk about your sex life, and you can even talk during sex, married people. You can. It's okay. Is everyone uncomfortable? I'm not. <laughs> here's, here's what's really interesting. Fellas, I want you to hear this. Um, really important. So um, Sheila Ray Gregor, uh, author of the book, The Great Sex Rescue, in her book, what they did, they did some a bunch of research uh, among Christian wives. Um and what they found was that when a wife feels that her voice matters in the, mar- in the marriage, this sexual satisfaction is increased. When a wife feels like her voice matters in the marriage, this is what they found. She is 9.2 times more likely, nine times more likely, to say I am very satisfied with the amount of closeness I share with my husband During sex, again, y'all, it's not a mere physical thing. She is 6.74 times more likely to say my husband makes my sexual pleasure a priority when we have sex. It is also physical. Not just physical, but it is physical also. 4.72 times more likely to say my husband spends enough attention on foreplay that I feel excited and aroused when we begin intercourse. There you go. Aroused in intercourse for those of you keeping track of all the words that you've heard in the last few weeks that you had never heard in church before. There you go. A few more. <laughs> I, y'all have been telling me about it. I don't know. <laughs> Four point, she's, she's more likely, 4.31 times more likely to say, I am comfortable talking to my husband about what feels good sexually and what I need sexually. That's so vitally important to communicate openly. Three point, uh, she, would, she would be uh, 3.24 times more likely to say I am frequently aroused during sexual activity, 2.43 times more likely to say I'm confident about my ability to become sexually aroused, 2.26 times more likely to say I frequently orgasm during sexual activity with my husband, and 1.38 times less likely To say I have experienced vaginismus, I think I pronounced that right, probably not. 1.9 times less likely to say when it comes to sex, I can take it or leave it. And I I know, like, none of us want to be in a marriage where that is voiced, that that is the posture. 3.61 times less likely to say I engage in sex with my husband only because I feel I have to. That's not how God designed this. And so communicate openly, value each other's perspectives. And I believe that that will go a long way in building connection and allowing this next part to, to actually flourish. Let's read it again 1 Corinthians 7 3 through 5. Some of you, this is going to be your new favorite Bible passage. Uh, a husband, you know, let's just say it, it's fine. <clears throat> A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. Verse 4. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Verse 5. Do not not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time, to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, otherwise Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I want to point you again to verse 4. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Second ingredient from Scripture for good sex. Number two, embrace vulnerability. Embrace vulnerability. The amount of vulnerability that is, that is implied and required for verse 4 to come alive, to actually be the case where where a wife sees that her body is is for her husband and where a husband sees that his body is for his wife, this is vitally important that each person, each spouse, embraces vulnerability. Because vulnerability is the prerequisite for intimacy and intimacy is the prerequisite for good sex. If you are not vulnerable, if you're not willing to communicate openly about some of the things that that was talked about in that that survey of like, here's what I like, here's what works for me, then if you're not having that communication, it's going to be a barrier to experiencing good sex. Uh, And it really gets us, when we are able to embrace vulnerability, it gets us closer to what God designed in the beginning with Adam and Eve. I just want to remind you Genesis 2. 22 to 25. It says this, Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Verse 25. Pay attention to this. Both the man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame. They were both naked and yet felt no shame. When that is the case, vulnerability is automatic. When trust is built, when trust is the soil of your marriage, and what grows from that is vulnerability, is being willing to have the conversations um, that, that you may like want to have, but you're not sure about. Uh, maybe he doesn't want to talk about sex. Maybe she doesn't want to talk about sex. Maybe that's just been a point of contention. Instead of coming at it with like, ah, this is, this is how it's affecting me. Why don't you come with vulnerability and say, this is how it feels. This is, this is what I want for us. Uh, coming to the table with vulnerability is, is really the prerequisite for actual Intimacy. And when we embrace vulnerability, when we share all of ourselves, because what, what is pointed to in Genesis, both the man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame. That was more than a physical reality. When, when a man and a wife, when, when a husband and a wife are, are naked before, before each other and feel no shame, that, that is not just a physical reality. It is emotional. It's psychological. It's psychological. It's spiritual. That before each other you 've got nothing to hide you've got, you got this is me, and this is you, and I am so grateful that God gave us each other that 's vulnerability that 's the willingness to step into that open communication and open vulnerability. He goes on let 's look at this again same same passage: a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Verse 5, do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, otherwise Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Verse 3, let's look look at that again. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. Okay. Marital duty. We've got to do a little bit of Bible study here, because it's always important to know what the context is when you're reading scripture, when you, especially when you come about a passage that is a little bit confusing. You've got some words you're like, I'm not sure what he means there. So some people would say marital duty is simply being faithful to your spouse. Okay. That's cool. But Paul already addressed that. A husband should have sexual relations with his wife, and a wife should have sexual relations with her husband. We've already addressed that. In this conversation, it could be uh some people would say marital duty is uh fulfill the vows, that covenantal vows of here, this is this is what I'm committing. But but that's not really in the context of what he's talking about, is it? Paul's talking about something here, and we've kind of been talking about it. He's talking about sex. And so um some of the translations have become a little bit clearer on what they're translating. And I think that's helpful. Because when you stay vague, you kind of take a cop out. I'm not judging the, the interpreter, or the translation committees, because like they know it way better than I do, okay? So, but I think it would be helpful if we just got a little bit more clear, a little more plain, okay? This is what the Bible says. This is what he means. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. What does that mean? A husband should fulfill his wife's sexual desires. He should fulfill his wife sexually. And a wife should fulfill her husband sexually. That's what he's saying. That's what he's getting at, the marital duty, the two becoming one Flesh duty makes it sound like oh that's that's not fun, but that's not what, that's not what it's really getting at. It, it's this. Here's the third point. Okay, from from scripture. Third ingredient to good sex: practice mutual self-giving that leads to mutual satisfaction. Practice mutual self-giving that leads to mutual satisfaction. That's what he's saying here. That the, the husband should be focused on the wife. The wife should be focused on the husband. That makes sense, right? That seems to be pretty biblical. This idea of not counting yourselves as more important than the other, but you are uh serving each other. You're loving each other. That's what love is. Fellas, husbands, don't be selfish in bed. Okay? Wives. is what he's saying. Don't be selfish in bed. That's what he's saying. Be one who offers yourself to the other. Mutual Uh, self-giving. Mutual self-giving, he's saying that the husband's body is for the wife. The wife's body is for the husband. Mutual self-giving that leads to mutual satisfaction. Fulfill the wife's sexual desire, husband, vice versa. You guys tracking with me? Give me one of these. I know, it's awkward. I get it. It's fine. It's fine. Some of you guys are avoiding eye contact. It's like, it's like in community group when I ask if anyone would be willing to pray. They're like, I'm sorry, I'm going to take a call right now. <laughs> uh, what, if, what if we could look to Scripture and we could see that the way Jesus loves us and calls us to live would inform the way uh, that we engage in sex with our spouse? I think it's possible. Philippians chapter 2. Verses three and four. Just consider: What if we applied this to our sexual lives with, with, within a marriage? What, what if we did? Okay, this is what he says: Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. So, what does that look like in a marriage? Especially applied to this area of our lives it leads to what paul is advocating for of a mutual self-giving that leads to mutual satisfaction but here's the problem within the christian world a lot of christian resources especially like marriage books that do talk about sex have given a, a somewhat or and depending on the book a destructive view of sex within the church and so i want to go there this is what some of them say In some Christian marriage books, sex is portrayed as merely a husband's need for physical release. Maybe you've read some of these. That that it's postured as sex is just for him. It's mainly for him. He's the one who wants it, and and so that's why it's there. He needs this physical release, and, and that's what it is. But as we've seen from Scripture, sex is more than a mere physical act. We ought to do better in the way that we're teaching this. Another one is a man wants sex, a woman wants affection. That that's what we're taught. A man wants sex, a woman wants affection. But as we've seen, uh, there God gave us all of us, not just women, but men as well, an intimate desire, a desire for intimate oneness, that's emotional closeness. That that there is, and this is this is, it gets bad when when we are telling. Wives or future wives that, hey, uh, you really don't need to expect anything out of sex from a physical pleasure perspective. And what does that tell the the husband or the future husband? Well, if she doesn't like it, that's normal. If she just puts up with it, that's just normal. That's not how God designed it. It leads to a bad place. Fellas need emotional connection too. Ladies need... Physical connection too. Let's not let's not get this twisted. This is both the same. Yes, there may be one person who has more of a desire, but that doesn't mean that the needs not there, that the desire is not there. Okay. And the third one, the uh, third way. This is this is pushed. Every man is constantly in a perpetual battle to not lust after other women. They're Like just lust machines. And if sex isn't frequent enough. The wife is allowing him to fall into deep temptation to watch pornography. That all the weight is on the wife's shoulders. That, that fellas, we ne- you need not expect anything. It's just how he's wired. He's a visual being and he's just, he's just lusting all over the place. He's just living a sinful world. I think we can expect more from men. Because from Jesus' perspective, he set us free from sin. Yes, we'll still struggle, but he's called us to freedom and victory over those things. And if we would teach uh, our, our young people and our older folks, like everyone, if we would teach that, hey, when you see someone from the opposite sex who's attractive, make sure you look at them as someone made in God's image, not a source of objectification just for your own pleasure. That is more of a product from the way we see the world handling sexuality, from pornography and movies, that pleasure is just something to take from someone. That's not how it is, church. And this leads to some really bad spots because it leads to a gap of mutual satisfaction. What did I say? We need to be mutual self-giving that leads to mutual satisfaction. And so that means that both parties, physically and emotionally, should be satisfied. If we're going to talk about good sex, that's how it should be. But there's oftentimes a gap. And this comes down to her, the way we've educated and the way we've thought about it and the way we see it in the movies. It's like what? It's this moment of passion, and they kiss, rip off clothes. Three minutes later, it's all done. and It's like, well, that was a victory. Right? Can we be honest? Th- that's not what God's design is. Th- this is what Sheila Ray Gregor, uh, again, I'm going to quote her again. This is what she says. This poses a question. I think it's a really important question to consider. What if women's challenge reaching orgasm through intercourse and thus re- requiring other stimulation is actually a feature and not a bug? Could it be that God intended for men to have to spend some time helping their wives achieve pleasure in a way that does not directly stimulate the husband at all? There is a difference in the human anatomy between men and women. And there needs to be this understanding that um, sex is more than just mere intercourse. And because we believe that sex is just mere intercourse, it leads to a lot of uh, wives being ones who would say things like this. This is what some of the wives on Sheila's blog where she talks about the same kind of stuff. um, On This is what Christian wives uh, are saying, some. She said this, one of them said, I've explained to my husband about how men and women are different. He does understand, but he says sex is all we're required to do. And if sex doesn't cut it for me, then I should take care of things myself. If I ask him to help me get aroused, he tells me that's my business and my responsibility. Husbands, that's not how it is. No. Uh, a second wife said this My husband hates spending time on foreplay, so I feel rushed and move on to sex even if I'm not completely ready. Which, by the way, that can also lead to a lot of pain, too physical pain. A third wife said this I'm completely perplexed about why my husband isn't interested in figuring out how to make sex good for me. I asked him to help me figure out how I like to be touched, but he said he was too tired. I was really hopeful that we could talk through more and make sex more than a two minute drill. When we talk about sex, he seems uncomfortable and reminded me that he's a farm boy and understands how sex works because he has raised hogs. But I'm not a hog. And church said, amen. Amen. See, I think what we need is a broader definition of sex. Is sex merely intercourse? That's what most would say. When you think of sex, that's what you think of. But what if sex is more than that? What if sex is the all-encompassing act of bringing each other pleasure in that way and, and connecting in that way. What if it's more? I think it is. And that would, that would, that would uh, lessen this, this perspective, this idea that uh, as long as we're just having intercourse, that's fine. I've done what I need to do. That's all I'm called to do. That, that's not how things ought to be. At least if you want good sex. Married people. So here's what we ought to engage in, is that within a marriage, the, both spouses, they explore together. Explore together. This is a learning experience, a lifelong learning experience, because things will change over time. Explore together. Seek to become great lovers for each other. Seek to become great lovers for each other. Learn what each other likes and be willing to love each other well. Friends, remember, God created sex to be good for both spouses, not just one. God created sex to be good for both spouses, not just one. This is a mutual self-giving with the goal that leads us to mutual satisfaction. So, married people, homework for you. Number one, communicate openly. Number two, embrace vulnerability. And number three, practice, practice mutual self giving that leads to mutual satisfaction. That's what I believe 1 Corinthians 7 is getting at. And I believe if we are both, both spouses are willing to love each other well, then good sex is in the future. It's not so far off. So, married people, go forth and practice. (laughs) Church, would you stand? We're going to pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for your grace. We're grateful that uh, for some reason you designed us the way that you did. Um, men and women, different. God, you designed our bodies in ways that can experience physical pleasure. It's just crazy. You designed us to desire emotional connection too. You designed us in such a way where within a marriage we can have physical connection, emotional connection, and spiritual connection. We're grateful, Lord. I want to thank you on behalf of all of us that you've given us the opportunity, the possibility to enter into a life-uniting covenant of marriage if, if that is what you're leading us to. We're grateful for that. Also grateful that even for those who are not called to that, that they can live a, a life that is fulfilled because we uh, reject the idea of the culture saying that sex is nothing and we also reject the cultural idea that sex is everything, that there is more to life than just this. So God, we are grateful for that. We're grateful that you give us wisdom on this uh, on this subject. Please give us wisdom as we go forth and help us to, to love you well and to love our spouse well. God, help us to honor you with our bodies. We surrender everything that we have to you. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.